This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hi, and welcome to Militantly Mixed, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to speak at the end of the episode because some of the information that I need to share would be spoilers for what gets revealed in the episode. So I'm going to ask that you stick with me through the conclusion of this interview, and then I'll pop back on and do my Charmaine thoughts. Before we do that, though, I just want to share the topic of conversation today. We are going to be covering the topic of transracialness. And this is a term that has been wildly misused in the media over the last couple of years, thanks to one Rachel Dolezal. The term transracial means a person of ethnic group or culture who is adopted and raised by people from a different ethnic group and culture. And that is exactly what we're dealing with today. What transracial does not mean is a white woman who is pretending to be black, culturally appropriating, and benefiting off of that cultural appropriation. That I'm calling transracial. And I do talk about this quite a bit on other shows that I've been on, including my own show, Blurred Comics. I have a whole episode about it, but that's not what we're going to talk about here. What we are talking about here is the transracial experience, which I think is an important aspect of mixedness because we're talking about people of a different race being raised by people of a different culture. And there is mixedness in that. And, I, and it just so happens that my guest today is also mixed race in addition to being transracial. So it's a little bit extra of a element of the mixed story going on there. I don't want to get too far in. I'll let the episode speak for itself. My guest today, his name is Jesse Daner. He is a half black, half Mexican man from San Diego who was adopted and raised by a white family. He does have an adopted brother who is black as well, but like I said, primarily raised by white people in a white culture. And his experience is very unique because of that. And it's also unique because of who he is. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the episode. It is a little bit of a longer one because the topics that we discuss, we haven't dealt with on this show yet. And I thought it was important to leave as much of that in there as possible. So please stick with me through this episode and then I will pop in at the very end to share my thoughts, but then also share a little bit of information that Jesse has told me it was okay for me to share at the end of this episode. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Jesse Daner. back for another episode of Militantly Mixed. My guest this week, I'm excited about because your story is a story that I didn't even know I really, really super wanted. I wanted something, I wanted somebody with a similar experience, but I didn't know how badly I wanted it until I talked to you. So I'm so glad you were going to shine a light on mixedness that we have not dealt with on this show yet. And I'm very excited. So my guest this week is Jesse Daner. And you are an entrepreneur. You are out there doing big things, fun things that I'm so excited to get into. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, let them know about you, and then we'll talk about your ethnic background and your upbringing and we'll get into it. 
Awesome. So my name is Jesse Daner. I am uh, 29 and I am from San Diego, California. Youngest of five boys. Just graduated college a year ago from SDSU. Go Aztecs. Yeah, I'm just a normal guy. Normal guy in this world. But um, I have a pretty interesting story. Yeah. So one of the topics that I had tried to find people. So the show, the show's been running for about five and a half months, but about six or so months ago, I had posted something on a bunch of different mixed race Facebook groups that were trying to cover all of the different areas of mixedness that I sort of was either a part of the experience, had a cursory knowledge of, or just like knew it was a thing and wanted to talk to somebody because I like to be exposed to education that I don't have access to. And one of those topics was about the transracial experience, which is for everybody out there who thinks it's about being pretending that you're one race that you're not. What it actually is, is being of a ethnic group and raised, adopted and raised by people of a different ethnic group and raised within their culture. You are not only mixed race, but you are also a transracial person. So let's get into that. Let's talk about your your childhood and your upbringing and everything. Awesome. So um, all my life, you know, being black and Mexican, um, I not only stood out having a white family, um, you know, the classic phrase of being whitewashed has always been um, thrown around. around. So mm. um, I am, yes, I'm one of five boys, uh, but I'm really, me and my brother, Joey is his name. He was adopted as well, but he wasn't born in 86. So he's 86, I'm 89. And the rest of my brothers grew up either in North Dakota or London. So, um, you know, it's just been pretty interesting growing up with, you know, being two black boys um, adopted by a white family, living in a predominantly white neighborhood and, and community in North San Diego. So um, it was really interesting that me and you touched base. And I, you know, first talked to you and I told you I'm black and Mexican, but I was raised by white people. And you gave me that term of being trans-ethnic. And the only way I can relate to that is is I always tell people I'm the color of water because I was never, you know, growing up, I was never quite black enough for blacks. I was never quite Mexican enough for Mexican and I'm not white enough for whites. Yet I can assimilate and I can move and switch dialects between these groups. I can, you know, use my interview voice, my voicemail voice uh, when I'm around white people and mm-hmm. I can speak Spanish uh, around Latins, which I love. And then if I need to, you know, dial it up for black people, you know, I can always get into that dialect and, you know, mm-hmm. use slang and stuff like that as well. You know, if people really talk to me, they're like, well, what are you? You know, and I always loved that question when people ask me what I am, because, you know, technically we're all the same race. We're part of the human race, which is great. Uh, but so, yeah, part of my experience, just, you know, being born in 89, um, my whole life, um, not my whole life, but, you know, once it became apparent, I asked my mom, my adoptive mom, Sally, I asked her, you know, if she'll let me know who my biological parents are. And, you know, like most most parents, she was like, I'll tell you when you're 18. And I turned 18. She's like, I'll tell you when you're 21. And then I turned 21. Mm. And then she's like, I'll tell you when you're 25. And I turned 25. And then she finally said, I'll tell you when you graduate college. And I was the last one. And I did it. And the day I graduated or the day after, she handed me a card and it had you know, the most beautiful sentiments, you know, oh, she'll always be my mother. She loves me and I love her. But it included the name of my biological parents, which I was unaware of. Um, so it was really, really cool. So I knew my biological parents' names. I knew they were Sonia and Anthony. Uh, technically, I would be, a, if I was still a Sonia, I'd be Sonia Perez. So I'd be Jesse Perez. Um, and that was the only thing I knew. And then from there, I started Facebook searching. So I searched them and I found my biological father's family. 
um, and they all live in Temecula. And if you know anything about Southern California, uh, Temecula is on the other side of Camp Pendleton, just about, mm-hmm. and uh, or at least on the east side, on the east side. And Oceanside is not too far away. So they, you know, I literally grew up maybe 30 minutes away from my biological dad's family, and I didn't even know it. And I have yeah. friends, friends that go to the college that they go to, and friends that live out there. So I met them, and. It was really life changing because I realized that, you know, if I would have stayed with this, my biological family, at least my dad's side, uh, I would have been one of six kids in a household and, you know, not a big household. I've been sharing and my life would have been way different. Yet when I was adopted, I was one of two and I have all these opportunities and chances and just things I don't think I ever would have had if I would have stayed with that, mm-hmm. my biological dad's family. Yeah. Um, just not bad. It's not bad. It's, um, you know, just something to think about. So then, um, which fast forward to 2018, here we are. Um, my mom, God bless her. She advised me to take the 23 and me, which I did. It was really, really interesting because then it showed me really, really like what I share blood with and and where they could be from. I knew I'm, I'm black. Of course, that's the first thing you can see to the eye. Um, but I have always felt closer to my Latin side. So it was really cool to see just, you know, okay, you share blood with these people and it could be here. And then a friend of mine advised me to do the ancestry test. So I took the ancestry.com, the DNA test, and that one was a little better than 23andMe, but where it different differentiated was it really, it connects you with the people that are already in that system. And it tells you, hey, you guys are related or possibly related. Mm-hmm. So I remember it uh, like last week I took it and, uh, or not last week, I took it. Last week I got the results and it was at two o'clock in the morning. I got the results and I couldn't sleep after that. And I had to be up at 10. So I slept or tried to sleep and I woke up at 10 and I was taking a trip with my mom, my adoptive mom, all the way to Big Bear to check out a summer camp for my business. And before we leave, um, I sent out a message to this, the only person that it says I matched with, um, which her name was Nicole. So it says, hey, it says you might be matched with this woman. He says, first cousins or closer. And I was freaking out. I was like, there's no way this could be possible. Uh, yeah, because that's you know, close to immediate family. That's crazy. And it changes like it, it you know, it's pretty crazy because your life changes, you know, within what, an hour, you know, an email. Yeah. So I, <laughs> it was unreal. And uh, as soon as I, you know, got into the car with my mom, I not only started looking and it said like, chances are that I am from, like I share blood with people from Chihuahua or Durango, Mexico, which not only gives me, you know, a specific location, but it, mm-hmm. it you know, helps me be able to tell myself in a different way to people, which is which is great. So I was putting around there and then I came across the DNA matches. And like I said, it showed me, I think about 400 people, but the closest one, the only closest match I had was this woman named Nicole. So I click on it and it says, you know, first cousins uh, or closer. And without even thinking, I message her and says, hey, my name's Jesse. I'm from San Diego. You know, are you in San Diego? It says that we're possibly related. And then I I sent that. And then I, you know, just decided to be a little more investigative. And I clicked on her profile and... Go, got a little deeper and her bio read, hi, my name is Nicole and I was born with the last name Perez and I was adopted in San Diego. And I was like freaking out. I was like, that seems very, very unreal. And not only that it says that we're possibly first cousins or closer, she was born with the same biological last name as I know my biological mom's name is. So... I did what any normal person would do in this day and age, and I Facebooked her. So I just jumped on Facebook and Facebooked her, and she came up, and she was in San Diego, and I'm obviously in San Diego, and 
I messaged her and I asked her, I was like, hey, Nicole, this is this is really random, but do you have Ancestry.com? And this was all, we'll say, I think the, the timestamp on my phone says 1035. So um, I'll read you the conversation that we had on Facebook Messenger uh, and then, uh, yeah, tell you how we now are friends or now family. So yeah. awesome. So. Yes. So as we're driving up to Big Bear, you can't really you can't really get service on the way down the mountain. So I sent these up the mountain and they were on the mountain. We kind of did our tour. And then um, as soon as we got down to the mountain, the bottom in San Bernardino near Redlands, um, my phone started going off. So I sent this question to her, you know, does she have Ancestry.com? And then we get down the mountain at 235 and she responds. And this is what she said. She said, I do have Ancestry.com. And then it's zero. Wow, extremely confident that we're first cousins. That's what the website says. So I responded, uh, yes. And I was like, wait, wait. So I, I am adopted too, but I was born with the last name Perez. And she wrote back, that's crazy. Do you have any idea what your biological mom's name is? So I said, yes, I do. Sonia Perez. And yours? And then I wrote, I believe she has a twin too, which I believe had babies on my birthday. With my biological father's name is Anthony, but I've never met him either. What I do know is my biological father's best friend and my biological mom's twin had a baby together. And all of this took place where I was born in Chula Vista, San Diego. This is what my adoptive mom has told me. And then I asked her when her birthday was. And Nicole responded with, my biological mom's name is Sonia Perez. And I'm aware that I had two older siblings, a sister and a brother. Mm. And she said her birthday was 1991. So I wrote back, that is, that is so crazy. My birthday is August 17, 1989. I'm just in a little shock because I never knew if I had any siblings until I came across my biological dad in Temecula, his family, his family at least. And then I asked her when she was uh, adopted. So then she wrote back, my records tell me that I have a brother who was born in August 1989. But I have down, he was born August 18th and his name was Anthony and I was taken away at birth. That's what she said. So she was taken away at birth and I was like sitting with mom and kind of stumped me and, and um, I'm telling my mom all this as she's driving and she's going back and forth. And um, as we got to this point, I told her, um, I told my mom and she, I, I asked her, well, you know, when was I adopted? And my mom was like, Jesse, you were adopted at three weeks old. And when I got you, I had to change your name from Anthony to Jesse. So my name was Anthony Perez when I was first born, um, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. So I wrote that to her and she first called me. And um, then Nicole wrote back. She said, my adoptive mom says that my that Sonia was able to keep her younger brother. She had a son after Nicole and she was able to keep him. So freaking out a little bit, I wrote back, mm-hmm. um, you know, they called me when I was born. My name is Anthony. And then she writes, do you have any pictures of your biological mother? And I'm saying, and I wrote, no, I do not. Sadly, do you? My adoptive mom tells me I have an older half sister on my mom's side, but I don't know anything about her. I have my birthday certificate and I've met my biological father's family. And they have some connecting stories about my biological mother and father such as Sonia having a twin or my adopt, my biological dad's sister going, getting incarcerated with my biological mom's sister. So only thing, those are the only things I, I knew. And then Nicole wrote back. She said, I do have a picture. Crazy thing is 
was a probation officer and Sonia Perez was one of her cases and she kept the photo for me. And I wrote, no way. I've never seen Sonia before, not even a picture. So yeah, my whole life, I've never seen any picture of anybody that's ever been related to me or I've seen one picture of my biological father, um, but he is still incarcerated. So it was probably an old picture. And then Nicole writes, your biological dad doesn't have any. And I told her, my biological father told me that they tried to fight for me for custody battles. But at that time, um, my biological father got incarcerated. So that custody battle ended. So I stayed with my adoptive family. And then Nicole wrote back, I'm aware Sonia has a twin. She also had her children taken away and put up for adoption. And then she asked me how old I was at adoption, how old I was at birth, like when I was adopted. And I told her three weeks. So crazy. So at this point, I'm sitting with my mom. And there's one thing that I, I mentioned to you that I've known about myself um, that my mom told me that was very personal, um, which I'll share. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. Um, it was just at this time with my mom, I was trying to figure out how do I ask Nicole this question, um, you know, without being too intrusive. Right. And as I'm thinking it, she writes, I hate to be intrusive, but were you born with drugs in your system? And that really got to me because not only was that the question I was about to ask her, um, that answer to that question was yes. So how does this person know, not only know to ask this question, but she knows, you know, like it's, it blew my mind. Yeah. So I wrote back, Nicole, I know we don't know each other, but I adore you. I was debating on how to ask you the same thing. Because the answer to that question is yes, I was. I was born with PCP or cocaine in my system. And she writes back, the records that I have say that my brother was born with PCP and cocaine in his system. And so did she. She had that same thing, which is the reason why me and her were given up for adoption. Right. So. Um, yeah, so that's it pretty much how our conversation just went. just as crazy to hear it the second time, even though you and I have spoken already. <laughs> like, it just rocks yeah. me. And I, you know, I'm not even a part of your family, but it just rocks me that this is the experience that you have to find a biological sister yeah. and all that. Like, I, it's, it's so crazy. Yeah, it was, it was really really i lost for words and after that that's kind of where the conversation um you know i don't need to read the rest of it it just we kind of went back and forth and then we decided that we were going to meet so we met the day after um we had coffee and and down here in seaport village and it was we we already did the hard part you know meeting up that first time was the hard part um but as we're sitting there having conversation we sat there for probably for definitely easily over an hour, probably two hours and multiple times through this, you know, as we're sitting there, we just kind of, you know, sat in silence and just stared at each other because, you know, we share, you know, just the slightest things about each other, you know, like our eyes have the same, or, you know, we, it's, it was crazy to meet somebody that we share this experience over. And, um, not only we were both adopted, it was just the way that we were adopted. And so we met up and Nicole has this, this narrative, kind of like a script of um, what a social, you know, what a social worker would write about somebody that is one of their cases. And um, it was so cool to meet and, and to see this. And she let me read it. And it was, 
like I said, a narrative of not only of my biological mom's life for the most part, but, you know, Nicole's life. And it mentions me, how I'm like, just kind of like a cameo character, you know, in her, in her life. But right. the part that I was in is so, so pivotal and so crucial. So what I found out, what we found out, what we put together was um, Sonia was not only born and went to school here in Logan Heights, like near where I live um, right now. So not only do I live like five or 10 minutes away from where my biological mom, you know, ran the streets as a kid, but, yeah. you know, she went to middle school around here and she never went to high school and she run had her first run in with the law at 15. And uh, what we put together was Sonia had her first kid in 1988 and her kid, that would be my older sister, Karina, I think her name is. And then so at me a year after in 89 and both of us, me and Karina were given up for adoption. And then she had Nicole in 91. And then uh, Nicole was given up for adoption after some very, very troubling things with uh, Sonia's family and, and losing a sister due to drugs and, you know, them coming into that, mm-hmm. the police coming into that and seeing that, you know, that there's a baby on site and that's not a livable situation. And then two years later, Sonia has another boy that we don't know, but she was sober at the time. So Karina, me, and Nicole were all born with PCP and cocaine in our system, one or the other or both. Uh, so all three of us were, you know, taken. And then Sonia's sister as well, she had kids and they were taken as well. And she has a twin. Her twin's name's Miriam. So Miriam's kids were given up as well. And, um, so we just kind of sat there and, and, you know, realized that this is not only a piece of puzzle for my life, but it's a huge piece for Nicole. And, uh, you know, neither of us had a younger sibling that we could, you know, really, really connect with. Uh, I'm the youngest mm-hmm. of my family and she has two younger brothers with their special needs. But, um, you know, you can't really have that conversational conversational that you can have with, you know, a younger sibling. Um so like I, like I told you, it was so crazy. What's really crazy is how parallel my life and Nicole life is. Right. Is my mom. Yeah. My adoptive mom works with, works with special needs kids for 30 years. And my brother's name is Joey and he's a police officer. And Nicole's family, all most of them work in police officers. She has a younger brother named Joey who is also adopted. And then Nicole works with special needs kids here in San Diego. And it's like she's on the board for a nonprofit. Crazy. She's a teacher out of school. Yeah, so it's unreal because, you know, we're so, we're so, so close to each other. And we were laughing because she bought tickets to a beer festival that my, my sister company, a friend of mine here on it, um, they're hosting and she's going to that. And that's the only beer festival this month that I'm not going to. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have crossed there. So it's, you know, the universe is, is, is putting you in places and, and having you cross these paths with people, whether you believe it or not, you know, um, if Ancestry.com didn't bring us together, this beer festival, you know, sooner or later would happen. So I think, especially since you're just at the beginning of getting to know each other, that you don't even know all of the, the, the other things that you share that you have in common. You're just barely scratching the surface of it. And and to have so much in common already is it, 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 it's weird because all of the things are nurture based, but you almost want to wonder if it's there's something nature based to it because you guys are actual siblings like it's it's wild and so what like when we spoke the other day i i had gotten off the call with you and i just like like high energy kind of tried to explain to my husband what had happened because he similarly 
is adopted and raised by white people, but he's half white and half Arabic. Um, but his biological mother is the mother he was raised with. His his dad, he did not know until he was an adult. That was not his biological father. He found that out as a teenager and um, and then forgot like as a young teenager and then forgot and then had to be reminded when he came of age. And yeah. and I always could tell because I met him when we were 15. And I could I could always tell he was a different race, but he was like, no, I'm white. My parents are white. I don't know. Later on in life, I found his biological father and we met him. And I didn't really see much shared stuff between them. But when we met his biological father's other children, I saw a lot of similarities between my husband and his half-brother, his younger half-brother. The way they walked, their hands were very similar. Uh, They have a a mole in the same exact spot on on their face. Um, Like really weird things like that. They actually resemble in a way that my husband doesn't resemble his white brothers that he grew up with. And that was a whole nother thing. The fact that he had white brothers and him and his sister were brown. And I'm like, how do you not know? But, you know, if you're raised by white people and no one tells you you're different, like you just think you're that's what they think. So, you know, I'm, I was like trying to, to talk about, like, look at how different this whole thing could be. Like, this is your version of it, but this is his version of it. And, you know, I'm talking about I was talking about you and like I've been thinking about you a bunch since <laughs> since we talked, because. Uh, yeah. Because there's so many aspects of your life that um, ways in which tragedy put you in a very lucky situation almost. But then, you know, you still are absent from your, you know, all of the cultures that you that you are mixed with. And so, you you know, you have to almost do the work yourself to expose yourself. But you still have this loving family that took care of you and nurtured you and s- helped you to know who you were. Like, there's all these things ab- about you from what little I know about you that is so, oh, gosh, I can't even think of the word that I'm feeling. <laughs> Just like, it's it's wonderful that you have the people that you have, and now you get a chance to connect with your biological sister, and who knows where that's going to go for you in your life. It's just like, um, it's just, I don't know. I was like, I was overwhelmed by being just a stranger that you told the story to, and I can't even imagine what it must feel like for you a million f- times as crazy yeah. as it feels to me possibly i know as as i was going through it um i told someone that it was as i was sitting there and she asked me that question if there's if i was born with drugs in my system it felt like someone had just turned on a faucet and i was crying as hard as i not even like tears of sadness it was like a relief like a sigh yeah. like a, a sigh of relief you know, and that I've met someone with this shared experience that you couldn't write. You know, I mean, you could write it now, but like you couldn't write this in a movie. You know, it was mm-hmm. unreal. It's just our her response to how she feels towards our biological mom to mine. And um, it's just kind of like, you know, and I, and I mentioned it earlier, like I have I feel so connected to my Latin heritage. And um, yet this is like, this is, I don't want to say it's proof because there's always proof, you know, I didn't need proof, but this is proof, you know, like, no, I share, like you stand next to this person. We are definitely from the same tribe, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think my adoptive mom put it in such a good way. And she said, 
the only reason why this works now, you know, that and not only reason, but one of the reasons why it works now is both of us, me and Nicole, have had really good adopted families, and one of us wasn't better than the other, and, right. and you know, so it didn't feel like you know someone lucked out more than the other, and and we're in a great equally position in our life, you know, not one of us is, is more off than the other, and um, there was something I said earlier that when me and you talked earlier that um, you know has to be mentioned, like me and my brother being raised in a family that was that is white, you know, and and. And I mean white, white, like we're from Montana, North Dakota, like <laughs> pioneer, pioneer, big sky states. And um, the reason, you know, the reason why it works is, is, you know, hats off to my mom in 1986, driving from, you know, the top of the United States to Tennessee and then back, you know, to adopt a, a fully African-American son. You know, my brother, and he was like a bear cub, like he, he had big paws at a kid, like he <laughs> Is six, you know, he had like, we always told him, like, if he, like, when he puts his hand in like a fist, it's like five hot dogs in one bun. It's like his <laughs> hand is so big. And uh, so it's, you know, hats off to her. She, you know, dealt with a lot of racism from the 86 to 89 and then moved to California and adopted me. And then obviously, you know, imagine my mom's story, you know, and then tailor it to my story. And then, you know, it's, it's uncanny. But one of the things that they peeped that the adoption agency told my mom when she was picking up my brother from Tennessee was, um, they almost didn't let her take him because everybody was so scared. You know, they were scared of the idea that if you take a black child, you raise it in a white household, he's going to lose himself. You know, he's not going to he's not going to learn this culture that is has been stripped of, you know, African-Americans in, in so many ways. Um, and my mom, you know, believed that and she understood that, but she didn't understand what it meant until my brother was about, like she didn't understand fully until my brother came home one day as a kid, you know, maybe five or four and, and told her that he wanted to be a firefighter, but he didn't think he could because he'd never seen a black firefighter. And I think that rings true. And it's why I, I don't get mad when we had that whole Black Panther argument, but it's, it's just that, that that's the point. Like so many kids, they never, they didn't think they could be president. They didn't think they could be Captain America. They didn't think they could right. be Superman because there's no strong black men portrayed and that we don't see ourselves in the media like that, you know, and it's it's hauntingly true, you know, and then how kids, you know, that's don't believe it. You know, they see it, they'll believe it. And if no one's around to convince them, unless they do the head or heart work, like, you know, they're going to be stuck into these roles that are pre-assigned to them based on their looks, you know? Yeah. It's it's uncanny, you know, it's it's very uncanny. And we talked earlier about how just me being black and Mexican, like there's a culture in that. There is a huge culture in that. And it's one of the first mixed races that we have that we can, you know, put to date, you know, put a name on it was slaves, you know, interacting and, and mingling with indigenous, you know, because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And yeah. uh, like I told you, the, the, the state of Guerrero in Mexico was named after Vicente Guerrero, who was African, who was a mixed half black, half Mexican and second president of Mexico. And it's not erased from their history books, but it's not something that they openly teach and talk about. And, uh, you know, there are pockets of Mexico that have the biggest Afro-Mexicano population of over 100,000 people. And it's, you know, they're still kind of like the, the taboo part of Mexico, which is crazy because I think, you know, we it's how did that happen? You know, the story of these places, these pockets, how they got the, such rich, vibrant popula population was um, slaves escaping from captive and they found haven here or a slave ship crashed off the shores and they all swam the shore and they just kind of lived there. So whatever it may, whatever the story is, because uh, we won't know because it's written by the winners history. Um, it's 
it, regardless, the point is, is, is you have these Afro-Caribbean Latino descendants that are thriving and, and making this culture that is, it should be a culture and it should be a country in its own, you know, just imagine the food, the music, the, the lively, the love that would come from that. Because, you know, black people, a black household is filled of love. A Latin household is filled of love with terms of endearment. You put those together. I mean, you might be partying with the Corona and a piece of fried chicken until like six in the morning. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just great. You know, so I full heartedly, I'm a very proud African, Mexican, American man. And now that you know, you taught me even something about myself, like I just thought I was black and Mexican the whole time. But this idea of being raised in another racist household when I'm already dual, you know, mixed race, <laughs> but then being raised, that's like, that's a whole nother layer, you know, and, and the thing that I would like to definitely dive into because Nicole, she was adopted by a Mexican family. So she's Mexican, Mexican. She's adopted by a Mexican family. Oh, so okay. yeah, so that, you know, it's, it's just that difference, you know, and, and I'm yeah. the, out of me, Karina, and then our younger brother, I believe I'm the only one that's, that's mixed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so, so that would be, that would be an interesting discovery too. What, what I do, and I hope that as you go on your journey that you and I can check in on this so that, you know, I either my own selfish curiosity or being able to to show other people through the show my curiosity about you as you're unpacking the the transracial or trans ethnic side of you is i'd like to know a question that comes up a lot with with especially my white passing mixed race guests is that they don't always feel that they have a, a seat at the table like they they feel even less like they have a seat at the table because they don't want to take up the space of a, and I'm using quotation fingers, real person of color, you know, like in terms of diversity hires or, or whatever, just having a voice to talk about issues and things like that as a person of color. And what I like to understand is flipping it is being a person of color that is adopted with by white people and raised with a white culture what is their voice and what is their, and another quotation finger saying, permission to have a seat at the table in terms of, you know, are they equally, are you, are they equally allowed to own a certain amount of whiteness, even though ethnically they're not white, culturally there is whiteness there. So like there, I, I would definitely like to check in with you as you are at you know, coming going through that because I want I want to understand. Well, I want to understand all aspects of mis- mixedness, but I think that's a very interesting <laughs> part of of the whole pie of what we're what we are. Is that you know I am a believer that we should have a voice in all aspects. Like yes, I don't have the experience of a full monoracial black person or a full monoracial Japanese person or a full monoracial white person, and yet. I have all of these influences, both in my blood and in my cultures. So do I have a space to go to England, say, because my grandmother is, is British? Um, can I go there and insert myself as a Brit, even though I'm not fully a Brit? You know, do I have like, do you you grew up around white people? You have white people raising you. Do you have a voice in whiteness? Because of your upbringing. I, that is very interesting. Yeah, I, that's a that's an interesting topic. Cause I, I would say that you I, do because you were around it. But the you know what is the world going to to do to us? You know that this is a this yeah. is something that I want to I want to figure out. I want to unpack it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I I that's interesting you say that because on a completely unrelated note, I mean, um, I have you know at times I think like someone once told me. You know, if you're for ladies, at least, you know, and this is taken with a grain of salt, um, you know, to be on the cover of a newspaper or cover of a magazine, it's kind of that picturesque, you know, the lighter this, you know, you want to 
light skin girl, dark skin guy or vice, right? Like it's never dark and dark, you know, and it's mm-hmm. part of that process of assimilation, you know, of, you know, that's why, you know, I want you to marry a white man and, you know, he has a good job. He's going to you know, provide for you. You know, that's right. You know, most minority families, their parents, that's what they preach. They don't say, you know, bring home a black guy. You know, they don't say that. So um, I've always at times, you know, think like it's really interesting because I am seen as a black man. But I do have, like I said, if you look at my house, I have more privilege than a lot of a lot of my white friends. You know, I have mm-hmm. you know, a place to live, a steady, you know, no bad credit. I don't have a baby's mama. I don't have these typical stereotypes that people place on black people. Right. But um, yeah, I guess in you know less words, I feel like at times I look at it's like how I wonder if women would look at me as a white man, or, you know, standing next to a, you know picturesque. Obviously not picturesque because of my skin color and all that and tattoos. But um, <laughs> it, it it is interesting. I, I I have thought about like you know what is the difference between me and a and a white man that in this case women are looking for, or you know it's if you look if people look at me, it's always the skin color. It's always yeah. like you know you must have family. It's like really that's that's so crazy. Like I no I'm. Yeah, it's crazy, which I don't, it doesn't eat me up inside. But um, one thing that, that you were saying that touched on is it's not that I feel like I have a voice for whiteness. If I can get that spot at the table, it's almost more of like, how do I have to convince people that I have a voice for being Mexican? If I go to Mexico and insert myself as a Mexican, you know, a Latino mm. Mexican, like, yeah. like you said, and then even more, like, I, I cannot tell you how many times people have asked me, at least that black lives, they, when black lives matter. Like they asked me, like, how do I feel? Like, and that's like, wait, you're asking me how I feel, why Black Lives Matter. Like I'm the spokesman for my race <laughs> when, like we discussed, I'm coming from a white household. So it's like, you know, I felt like Kanye West. You know I mean, like, what does Kanye West know that about George Bush that we didn't know? You know, why was he yeah. the spokesman? So uh, it was just it's I mean, it's crazy because I don't really feel like I have a voice for like whiteness. I've never really had a problem with that. Um, you know, when I sit down, it's, it's, you know, I walk into a room and it's a full of, you know, white people. It's my, my, my multiracialness and what I know about being, you know, my childhood and what I come from. It, to me, gives me a leg up, you know, it kind of makes me feel like I'm, I am different and, and kind of a commodity. But then when I go and talk to Mexicans or Latinos or, you know, African Americans, um, I feel like I kind of have to, I don't want to say work harder, but work harder to prove that I am part of that. Because, you know, if you dive in and, and dissect it, my white household, I wasn't raised with those cultures. So, yeah. like you said, everything I've, I know about Latin culture, everything I know about black culture is, you know, mostly what I picked up from friends, family, um, not family so much, but friends on the street, social media, um, how people treat me. You know what I mean? Like I go on the mm-hmm. stores and people, I've had times where people follow me down the aisles and I'm like, are you really? Like, I, yeah. I'm telling you, <laughs> I have so much, you know what I mean? I feel like I really do feel like Ned Flanders or like, you know, like a really like sometimes a high, like an overbearing white person because I'm like, dude, I don't, who are we, who are we following? Are you following right. me? Right. It's me. Like, <laughs> like don't you know, um, that that's a weird thing about like this mixed visibility and, and even maybe compounded with, um, with your adoptive culture too, is that it, I know a few people that have that transracial upbringing where, um, some folks that were adopted during the sort of wave of adopting South Korean babies. So, and so I knew this one woman who was of Korean descent. She was adopted in Korea, and so was her brother, her non-biological but adopted brother. They were adopted by white people in Tennessee. And, and she says to me one day, I think I'm a white girl until I look at my face in the mirror or until somebody does some racist gesture towards them or towards her, she doesn't realize, like, she doesn't even identify her own face as part of her identity. She identifies her, like, Southern white upbringing as her identity. And people have to remind her 
that to the rest of the world, you look like an Asian. And she's like, but I'm not Asian, you know, and it blew my mind that she had this idea about herself, because for me, I can't separate my facial features from my identity. Like it's a very much a part of my identity. So that's kind of why I had the curiosity about talking to people who had this experience, because I wanted to understand, like, how do you get to your identity when your face doesn't match your family? And um, and so for you, not only being adopted by white people, but mixed race as well, aware of your mixedness, aware of your non-biological connection to the people that have raised you. And you're and like when we talked, you were like, I'm just kind of this little nerd Ned Flanders guy, but they're seeing me as something totally different. I don't even know what I want to say. I just uh, it's just an area (laughs) that we really need to to learn about how to deal with people and, and drop all of those preconceived notions. It's like part of the reason why I'm doing this show. And oddly enough, I have a primarily white audience from what I've discovered. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of mixed race audience as well, but um, I have a surprising, I, that's what I'll say. I have a surprising number of white audience and the white yeah. people that do contact me after listening to the show will say things like, I didn't know I was making these mistakes. I wasn't aware I thought I was colorblind. I didn't realize colorblind was racist, you know, things like that. And like your show is teaching me these things. And, and so I, I, I wonder, like, what would it take for you and, my, and I to be able to walk around the world surrounded by people that aren't like us? And they would look at us and be like, oh, look at that, you know, fine, young black Mexican man who was raised by white people. And look at that, you know, <laughs> fine, young black Japanese and, and British girl that was, yeah. you know, raised in the hood. Like, when can we walk around and just be our mixed ass selves without having to wear it on a T-shirt or have it on a wristband or put out a disclaimer or a caveat? Like, hey, I know I know I my name is Charmaine Latrice Franklin, but when you see me, you're going to see a yellow girl, you know, like what is going to be the thing that makes this possible for us? Coming. I'm coming around the corner. Just be ready. Yeah, like we're, yeah. The mixed folks are coming. The mixed folks are coming. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's 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 how do we get there? There's no answer to that. But, you know, for all for everybody listening. Um, there's two things. One of them, I have to say it before I forget. I have a friend who is half black, half white, and he, you can tell he's troubled, you know, and then I won't get into how we know he's troubled, but he's very, very troubled to the point it comes off in toxic masculinity and in, in, in other ways as well. And we kind of dove into, you know, asking him like, why is that? Like, why do you, why are you doing this? And <laughs> He he is torn apart. He has the internal struggle of of his mixedness. And like I said earlier, it, my mixedness is a source of pride for me, and it's a source of strength. And I, I, I dig from it and, and dig from that well. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's endless. But he, like to the point where it's worrying, you know, it's worrisome. Like it's, it's this pent up, like not having a tribe. He doesn't feel like he has a tribe, you know, he doesn't feel like he belongs. And then, and then it comes out in, in ways of, you know, toxic masculinity and, and, and just kind of being a jerk. And it's, you know, his girlfriend is, is white and she's, you know, Texas white and she just doesn't get it. And I'm like, it's dangerous. That's dangerous. You know, like that's, yeah. you know, at the, at the, the, con- at the, the basic level of it is, is he feels like he can't belong, you know, cause he's, you know, he's not black enough for blacks and he's definitely not white. And you know, he's too dark to be white. You know, he's right. the paper bag test. He doesn't pass. So he cannot pass. So it's, it's scary, but 
Um, so with that being said, just know that, you know, for all those listening that like everybody's dealing through something and, and, and I don't know how we're going to get to the point where you can walk down the street and be your mixed ass self. But, you know, like this example is this guy, he, it eats him up yeah. inside. My brother and is it's, similar it's to that. It's sad. Very, very sad. And, and um, yeah, you know, it, it bothers me. It bumps me out. Yeah. Um, I, I, it hurts me too when I meet other mixed people that haven't, that don't feel that sense of like, I'm very empowered by my mixedness. I, I, I feel uh, not really a specialness, but I, I feel like a, that I have this ability because I had to learn to code switch because of all of my different cultures and things like that, that I have this ability to engage with almost any kind of person across the board. I mean, obviously there's going to be people uber racist people or things like that that would be very difficult or if I have a language barrier or something like that but my because of my multiple cultural and multiple ethnic origins I I can plug and play to a lot of different groups and 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 fit in and I can also but I can be othered the entire time that I'm also fitting in and this I think is like it's a unique thing that we as mixed people have but when I but through the show, it's been a mixed bag of people who like love being mixed and other and, and investigate it and use it as part of their power, as part of their personality and things. And then I have those, you know, those folks, too, that come on and they're just like, you know, they're troubled, like your friend, like my brother. They they don't feel comfortable. They because they never feel like they have found their tribe. They are always in conflict with everyone or they. They want to be a part of one of their ethnic groups and because they're darker or because they're lighter or whatever, they can't get in all the way. And and it hurt like it just like it it almost it it almost like personally breaks my heart that they're feeling this way. And I want to put a bandaid on and I want to help get them through it. And knowing that like that may not be their journey and I shouldn't necessarily insert myself that way. And yet here I am still sitting there on a pot, you know, on my mixed ass podcast talking about like, no, be empowered, you know, do all this kind of stuff. It really yeah. does. It's so hard. And the flip side of that, though, is when a person who has felt that that way, when I can kind of, in the softest way possible, bully them into talking to me about their mixed race experience, whether I do it for the show or not, um, and then they do kind of get a little bit more empowered, then that part is is the thing that, you know, gives me <laughs> the sense of joy of like, there's a reason why I'm doing this show and connecting with all these people that why I, you know, why you and I found each other, why me and this other person found each other. And, and now we can not only uh, deal and unpack with our, the issues that we have, like I said, sometimes a show ends up being like a, a therapy session for whoever I'm talking with and for me as well, because I still have my insecurities and anxieties, even though I'm fairly confident in my mixedness most of the time. And I just, I just love that through this, these narratives that everybody is telling about themselves from their own, their own words, their own, my other, my other show that I produced, Black Radical Queer, Javi and Nicole, the host on there, she says, our stories on our own terms. That's very much like the idea behind this show is that, you know, I'm here to help create a space to, so that we can tell our, our stories on our own terms. And, and like you coming out and just being like, look, this is my deal. <laughs> like, this is my whole deal. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're not sad or you're, you're not, um, you know, ragey or angry. You're just, you're just like, this is the cards and, and I've, I'm living through it. I've lived through it and I'm unpacking and I'm still dealing and I'm here and I'm empowered by it. 
It just gives me like so much joy <laughs> to hear because yeah. parts of your story are very rough and very traumatic. And I, I, I have also a lot of trauma in my history as well. And But to hear that like you can have this positivity and this relief in your voice when you're telling your story, just, I don't know, it just makes me feel so good. <laughs> I just no, I feel I, so good yeah, hearing your story. I'm I'm glad to hear that, and it's like I said, it's I'm very thankful to have come across your podcast. And like I said, I just I really just googled mixed race podcast because I listen to tons of podcasts, or at least a handful of them that I follow. Everything from breakup to uh, my favorite murder, um, and this was just something I came across because it's it's something that's in my life very much. Obviously, it is my life, and right. um. You know, then it started, you know, then I found this and then it snowballed into my ancestry. And it just like, I, you know, how I reached out to you. And then I told you, like, you wouldn't believe my story just got much more complex. Like, I know it was like from one the message to the other. It was like your life changed. <laughs> yeah, it was unreal. And it's it's crazy. The second thing I mean, I, there was something I mentioned earlier and I said I was going to say a second thing. Right, right. I, I didn't touch on it. It was about hair and how not only how that's part of my like. I've learned so much about my identity through my hair mm -hmm. and as I like, I just now started getting it braided. So it's braided right now. And, and it's probably the sixth time I've had it braided and I have a black, black woman from the islands. She braids my hair and it's just, she's just, you know, and she even married a guy from the island that's here like on refuge. And it's like looking at his culture and then looking at African-American culture and then my culture. It's like, that's three levels of blackness mm -hmm. right there. Like from the islands, from Africa, Africa, you know, and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I had this conversation in my kickball league. These people, my good friends came up to me and I think, you know, a lot of people who aren't black will appreciate this that are listening. Um, she asked me, she's a, she's a white woman. And she's like, what do you call a black girl's hair? How would you, what word would you use to call a black girl's hair? That's not offensive. And that first it hit me because I'm like, okay, well, once again, I'm not, I'm not a black woman. You're not the spokesperson. But it, I realized I do get away with being able to tell a girl, I told her, I was like, tell her it's nappy, tell her it's kinky, tell her it's natural. And all those terms, she was like, no, I'll get killed for that. And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I just I didn't realize I wasn't that until you reminded me. Like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I do pass for this and I can you know I mean it's not and I'm not passing, dear God no. You know, I'm right. black by by look. Like I've had yeah. I think me, me living in Long Beach for a little bit and walking hey, in that's my town. CSU Long Beach in the house, um, walking the streets where me and my cousin were walking, the black guy walking and the woman's walking the same street, she crosses the street. And I was like, it is two o'clock in the afternoon on a, college, <laughs> on a college campus. Like I'm black by, you know, I'm black by association. apparently. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, but it's really interesting because how do you refer to a black girl's hair that won't get you shot? You know, so and, and when you told me that and you said um, nappy or kinky, I, I clutched my proverbial pearls because <laughs> I was like, yo, don't tell a white girl to say that. <laughs> tell me tell her to say it let me know what she'll be I'll, I'll help you out no yeah um, like natural she, and then I told her natural and she's like well what if I'm talking to a non-black person and I told her natural. that is when you you have to take the time to educate that person 
It's like there's no, okay, well, how do I say it? You know, so there's no blanket term. These are ritual kinky or nappy. They don't get that. Take the time, take the extra minute or two to explain it to them and educate them. And like you said, a lot of white people write you and all that. And it's, it's not offensive. It just blew my mind because like, here's a woman that really wants to know. And she just, you know, she trusts me enough to be vulnerable, you know, because it's racist, very personal. And people get really funky about it. You know, yeah. um, I don't want to be a snowflake. I don't want to come off and hurt somebody's feelings. And so it's interesting, you know, and she's just, it was really interesting how interested she was in hair. Like my hair is different than hers. Like I don't even have black people hair. Like I have mixed hair and yeah, everybody's like, me. so good. Your hair's so this, this and that. And I'm like, I guess. Yeah. Hair, um, is, hair is a strange one because part of, and, and this would be because even though I look the way that I do, I have more of a black, a black hood specifically um, experience. And so my thing is that even a white ally who has a curiosity of black, about black hair, even me, who is mixed and pale and doesn't have uh, specifically black textured hair, I want to say, it's not your place to be curious. I want to say, why do you need to know about this? Um, that's kind of my gut reaction to it as, as sort of a black identified person. Yeah. But as a as a mixed person and as a person who knows that even though it's not my job and I'm not getting paid to educate, if I if I don't take those opportunities when they arise, I'm either creating a worse problem down the line or I'm, you know, maybe even just putting that person in a a risky situation because she's going to ask the wrong person <laughs> or you know whatever charmaine said it was okay you know <laughs> like don't say my name um but yeah but, <laughs> like don't be telling everybody don't don't put my name out there on the streets uh but yeah like I, I i feel these both like it's both a gut punch and an opportunity and so i you know i i try to take these moments and be like well well look let me explain to you why you asking that question will set somebody off and make people make somebody uncomfortable and then, you know, you kind of explain all of the different things that, that the traumas that we have uh, surrounding our hair, the fact that no matter what, our hair is considered unprofessional. And yet, if the world was predominantly black and a white person walked around, you know, with their stringy hair, we'd be like, "Ooh, that's unprofessional. Get an afro. What's wrong with you? You know, like there's if we flipped it, it could it would be a totally different thing. So it's it's trying to find these opportunities to be like, is it okay to be that curious? And if it is okay, what are we allowed to share with you? <laughs> That's, well, these what, the, what do I want to let like, you know, what do I want to give you from our culture? And you know, give you just enough that, you know, that I'm not losing my culture, like culture appropriation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what am I giving you that's still going to be ours? Like, we're going to keep the N-word. You know, y'all can't have it back. That's ours now. No. But what are things that terms that she can use? And I think it was just a, an area for me to, one, it was interesting because she wanted to know. And two, she has kids. So I'm like, hopefully this will pass on to her generation right. and then their kids' generation. And then racist will, racism will be gone forever. No, um, but In that hair, situation, it, I probably would have told her that you can just call it black textured yeah. hair and white textured hair and Asian textured hair, you know, like, and just kind of call it the texture versus describing the different, because even black hair is not consistent. Like there's like, she was looking for hair products. So if you go to a store and ask for hair product, like, what are you going to say? What's black texture hair product? Yeah, that that would be, that would be sufficient enough for somebody (laughs) who is working in the kind of store to be like, here's the black hair section. Um, (laughs) Like, so here's, here's the thing. My, my mom is, Japanese and white, but she 
is a hairstylist for exclusively black people. Like, she only does black hair. Actually, she has one Mexican client, and that's because that Mexican client has very curly, as a black, thick, thick hair. As it's, a black, it, yeah, it's not <laughs> quite like black hair, but it's like hella, hella thick and curly. Um, and so she gets relaxers through my mom and stuff. And so, you know, my mom can talk about it very clear and in a non-offensive way. She has a, a, a dedicated clientele that have been with her for 30 years and stuff like that. So um, I've always said black hair. And um, and then I, it occurred to me once when I was talking to an Asian woman that was not from the States. And I said, my mom's a hairstylist for black hair. And she goes, she only does people whose hair color is black. And it was a whole thing that was like, oh, I actually do need to change how I say this for some people. So, yeah, I include the texture because anybody who's in a, a hair store would at least know or uh, like a, a product shop would at least know like, oh, there is actually different products for um, people with black textured hair. For mixed folks, though, there is a couple of different companies that do do hair um, that do have hair products specifically for mixed people. And I'm really, really hoping I can get one of the, the um, one or both of the owners on the show if I can. I, I have I have not found a connection yet uh but there's a a hairline called mixed chicks and it is all kinds of products that are catered to different different aspects of mixed hair and so that's you know that's kind of dope that like that exists now i was driving down the street in los angeles on my way to a job interview there was a billboard and it had um oh shoot what's her name Kersey, Kersey something. She she's the mixed race girl that was in Dope and oh okay okay. Uh, so she yeah. was on the billboard and it had a hashtag like like um mixed my way or something and it was yeah. mixed chicks hairline products and it, or my mixed hair story or something like that and and it was the first time in my entire forty one years that I saw mixed people being mixed on a billboard that it wasn't like the 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 token mixed person with a whole bunch of white people or whatever. It was just a mixed girl with her mixed hair on a mixed hair billboard. And it was amazing. <laughs> it was I so think we had that discussion where it's like, even though if you're mixed, like you people want to, I have to put you in some sort of box for my head mm-hmm. to compute it, right? Either like Halle Berry or Barack Obama or Bruno Mars, like you're black or Mexican. You're not, you can't be both. Like right. and that's what blows my mind. And, and, Hair not only tells so much about it, like hair, what, I don't think you, I don't know if you realize, but African-American black people's hair is the only hair that grows towards the sun. It grows up. That's no other a, hair does that. That's an interesting way of saying it. Right? I mean, really? Uh, I'm not, I, someone told me that and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Our chosen race. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, but. Really, though, like it's I, I, I've changed the way I've thought, you know, since I've since I heard that, like we really only have the only hair that grows towards the sun. Like and I don't know, like so something you said was like, you know, I used to like hair. Right. I got had dreadlocks. And as soon as I cut my dreadlocks, I got a job like my hair wasn't appropriate. Black hairstyles are, you know, they're very this is very you have to be this way. Right. Right. Keep it high and tight. But when when we first when when people first got slaves, they got them from all over Africa, from tribe, you, they would capture people from different tribes that would never even meet, different languages, different currencies, mm-hmm. and they would toss them in a, room, a boat together and expect them to, to find common ground, you know? But with that being said, a long time ago for hair, you used to be able to tell whether someone was single, what class they were in, yeah. if they have these people, you know, how many brothers and sisters, you could tell so much by someone's hair. And when they got us as slaves, they got us, you know, they just take all the hair off. 
they're all the same. Shave my life. Yeah. And if you look at it today, like that's what that's scary still into our system. You right. know what I mean? Like you can't if you want to express yourself through your hair, that's fantastic. But better hope you're gonna be a rapper or something. Like you're not gonna get you know, unless you yeah. keep your drip really high. How long you know, and how long it costs really expensive to get dreadlocks to keep them really nice and clean. Like mm-hmm. um not many people have that. So it's if you just think about, you know, being colorblind is not enough. It's it's because they're not acknowledging these differences like yeah, like our I hair. Mean, being mean? colorblind is downright erasure and it's uh, it's yeah. a horrible practice and it's one of those things that I know in in white allyship it's it's an attempt to be an ally, but really it's one of the worst things that they can do or say <laughs> because they they're trying to erase us to make us feel like them. And we don't necessarily want to feel like them. We want to be ourselves and express ourselves. I mean, imagine if nowadays we braided our hair with maps back to our home the way the way slaves did before they started shaving hair off, you know, like there were our our hair told a story. Exactly. And it, you know, and and we're being told that now that that's unprofessional or, you know, but then at the flip side of it is when a when a white person uh, appropriates a a black hairstyle, then they're courageous or they're beautiful in some kind of way. And and that that discrepancy, even in 2018, is is so bizarre that this is a thing. Um, A book that I really would like to recommend for uh, yourself and anybody listening that I read. When I was in school, it's called Colorblind, and it's by a guy named Tim Weiss. And it's um, about the rise of post-racial politics and the retreat from racial equity. And it's told by a white guy, but he is, how I would put it, um, he's a white guy that I would invite to the family barbecue, um, mm-hmm. for sure. He is so, so cool. And if you could just YouTube him or whatever, but like that, he really changed the way of thinking of like, don't be colorblind. Like you said, it's that's worse. You have to acknowledge these differences we have and then put that forth into what it is that we're moving into. Don't act like we're all the same because there's we're not like, you know, none of us are the same. Even those that are the same color, same height, whatever it's we're all different so it's really really good i think i had to read it for like a sociology class but Hmm. um that's well the whole and that gave me the idea of being in the color of water you know you put me in any any surrounding and i can fit in you know i can i can definitely make it um and it's always amazing i lived in costa rica i lived in panama and until i speak people think i'm one of them you know and (laughs) once i speak um they're like okay he's not and then i had a really good conversation with a woman in panama during the time of the las vegas shooting uh, about not only our our, you know state of a country but like you know just being raced and it, it was unreal how people think you know they really don't believe what they see on tv you know like whatever we show them yeah. they think that like a lot of times i tell people i'm from california and they'll say anything from like um you know something has to do with california like pamela anderson or something like Baywatch. like what that's not even it's that's still what it's big like. everywhere else <laughs> exactly like yeah so it's like the, the the blonde with big boobs like that's still the that's what people think california is you know it's crazy to me if you ask me like no california tijuana uh, texas Arizona, that's California. When I was born, it was Mexico. When I die, it'll be Mexico. Um, as Edward James almost said in Mi Familia. Like, I don't know. I it feels so indifferent living here in San Diego and, and being so close to the border and being mixed race. And, and I travel across the border quite often just for tacos um, <laughs> and to get a little culture and to get a little culture. And, you know, thankfully, knock on wood, um, nothing's ever gone bad. But it's, you know, that's the stigma that people have about, yeah. you know, what they don't know, you know, 
people fear me for what they don't know. You know, they just, until they get to, to talk and, and see that I'm like, you know, what we're doing right now, you know, I'm yeah one person, you know, just another guy. Just the- And isn't that the thing that sucks too, is that um, if people are just going off of sight and what we look like they're and whatever their preconceived notions about that are, is they're missing a full ass conversation with the, with a whole ass person, you know, like this amazing experience that they could have but they've decided because of skin color or build or whatever that you know i can't associate with you or you're too dangerous to associate with or whatever you know to not investigate who this person could possibly be you as well you have this amazing adult adventure camp company and everything like that you you can expose adults to like childhood joy and like letting themselves go but if they're if they're if they have some preconceived notion about about people with black skin, is they're going to look at you and be like, oh, no, no, no. Like, that's ridiculous. They could actually be exposed to something amazing if they just took a moment to talk. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what that's what all this is about, is that we we need to start in- communicating, engaging. And the biggest or what I think is the lasting important aspect of this show, hopefully, will be creating a footprint of mixed race experiences because I'm talking to people that have so many very different experiences that hopefully down the line, because it'll be online and hopefully the internet will never never die and it'll be there forever, that people will say, oh, there were mixed people who had this experience one day. Because right now, we don't have those stories. We can't dip back very far. You know, like you said, history is written by the winners and the winners weren't always the biracial or triracial or multiracial people so i hope i hope through this show and our continued conversations and things like that that we we start to build that uh bridge (laughs) instead of instead of walls i agree i think um a lot of these i mean a lot of racist things i think like to me in layman's terms how racism is so easily happen it's like you know someone in your lineage or your or you or you know your lineage was something happened you know let's for example like your wife ran off with an asian guy and then it's easy to say Mm -hmm. i hate asian people so nothing is i'm never going to do that yada 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 and then it takes you know time on for someone that comes along of that descent to do something to break that mold you know what i mean right and that's it's seen in so many movies you know what i mean like no this black guy you know i was robbed by a black guy when racism was prime of course right because we're pitted against each other and now you're old and your son has a best friend or your wife, your daughter's marrying a black guy. Like you're going to hold these resentments with you, you know, and carry them with you until someone comes along and disproves them, you know, and like remember the Titans. That was the whole thing. Like my whole family, that guy's whole family hated Superman. His whole yeah. family hated black people for whatever reason, because they're stealing your job or for whatever. And then he realizes like, no, nah, this guy's fighting. He's, you know, he's fighting for my life. He's saving my life. Like, regardless of my skin color he has all the right to hate me but and then that's what changes people's things and you know we all find ourselves in that situation you know girl your, your boyfriend leaves you for a girl that's whatever or your you know guys girlfriend leaves her for another guy like it's very easy for people to you know you know men men will hold grudges you know it's, it's easy to to create a stigma and we don't well, you know women we don't hold realize. grudges too <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's crazy, you know? And, and, um, I think that's one thing my mom's always been really great at. And she taught us was it's not the color of somebody. It's not their, you know, the creed it's, it's their humanity. You know what I mean? Like how are they as a human? I think, yeah. you know, you don't got to be white or black to be an asshole. You know, you don't got to be a certain color. So it's, yeah. yeah, for real. 
So we are getting close to our time. So there's a couple things that I like to do to wrap up the show. But before we do that, I wanted to talk. I wanted to hear about your adult summer camp. Will you will you tell the audience about that? Um, you know, after all this is being said, um, I've had a normal childhood, of course. And um, in 2010, I went and lived in Costa Rica and I was out there for a little over half a year. And I was out there because not only was I on academic probation, I lost my license and the state of California was not happy with me. So um, my mom was like, why don't you, you know, do something productive with your time? Live abroad, teach English or, you know, shoot the shit or whatever. And um, a friend of mine who was a really good friend, Rory Graham, uh, he ended up passing away. And he was one of the most phenomenal people I've ever met and one of the first black cadets as a pastor at Army Navy in Carlsbad. Um, and they're going to name a building after him and he's going to be the first black cadet to have a building named after him on campus. But before he passed away, he mentioned me going to this company called International Volunteer Headquarters. So I just looked it up and I ended up living abroad, um, teaching English based off of his recommendation. And I came back and um, had kind of a better direction on what I wanted to do. And in 2012, my childhood sister, a young lady that I grew up with in Oceanside and went to preschool together all the way through high school and community college she ended up passing away and her mother asked me to speak at her funeral and i said of course you know echo is her name and echo is very much like me she was a social butterfly and um knew everybody and, and it was always the life of the party and, and loved looking her best and as i was up there speaking i just realized that all the people that i i knew from her in connection to her and, and how many people knew me and um i mean everybody from work to play to my ex-girlfriend at the time her baby's daddy knew her and everybody in between and um at the time i was looking at starting something that mattered with a friend and we were looking at flag football but he didn't want it to be co-ed so we switched uh we split separated ways and then i came across dodgeball and unbeknownst to me you know i found out that not a lot of women like getting hit in the face with playground balls <laughs> so i had to find a different sport and i came across kickball and kickball is played in 32 states including alaska and they play in the president's backyard um which there's a park back there so i don't know about this president but they play in old president's backyards <laughs> so with that being said i looked from where i am in north san diego from escondido to the coast of oceanside and Carlos bad and at the time there was no kickball so i started my league and started with eight teams and within a year i ended up moving to carlsbad and kicking it there and we've had 24 teams which is our highest and then right now our season has 15 teams on it and there's 20 people on each team all co-ed so we play friday nights that was the first time i got my start i've been kicking it ever since uh we play four seasons a year and while I started that, it kind of it definitely snowballed into what I do now, which is I make giant games. So I make giant Jenga, giant Connect Fours. I have a giant pool table that has soccer balls that you kick. <laughs> I have giant beer pong, um, any kind of lawn game uh, or old school child game like Mancala or Kerplunk. Um, I can make it. So um, people start hiring me to bring them out to festivals. So I do a lot of beer festivals. I do weddings. I do birthday parties. I've done sororities and fraternities, um, and those were kind of separate, you know, kickball and, and games. And then I came across this idea of doing team building. So if I have any gift besides woodworking and making things, making people happy, it is facilitating groups of people. I have a very slick tongue. Uh, sometimes it writes 
checks that my ass can't catch. But, <laughs> but um, you know, for the most part, it, it does what it's supposed to do. And um, I started doing a lot of team building and corporate team building. And that's what led me to what we're at today, which is a 21 and up summer camp for adults. So it's a four day, three night, all inclusive uh, summer camp, but it's like a team building slash like team Olympics. So you sign up and you get a color, any color you want, and then that's your team. And you guys will stay in a cabin. All your food will be provided. We have sponsorships from Pizza Port here in San Diego. And then we also have Naughty Barrel Brewing, any brewing company out here, honestly, because San Diego has so many. Um, but we've had um, a liquor company that does our tequila. And then we have whiskey out there from Hanaberry. So all your alcohol is included. Your games are included, so you do anything from like a Team Olympics. So you're competing against other teams in ropes course, mountain biking, and archery tag. So you get to shoot each other with bow and arrows, but it's <laughs> safe. It's safe. The arrows have cotton balls on them, and it's, you wear masks. It's more like a, a LARPing, like a cosplay type thing. Uh, mm. So we have everything like that. And then you have pool time. We have concerts. Um, a concert at night. We have a talent show. And then my personal favorite is we're going to have um, campfire stories. So we'll have somebody out there, hopefully a, a good podcast out there that'll be telling us some horror stories uh, and some scary stories while being in the forest. Because everybody knows you stay out of the forest. <laughs> you don't want you don't want to get murdered. That's the best thing. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not selling a product. I'm selling the nostalgic experience of how many of us, you know, especially mixed race, how many of us didn't get to go to camp and yeah. be ourselves. Imagine going back to camp now and being your best self and wearing your onesie and going with your girls or your boys and, and you know, being able to cut loose. And my mom went this past year and she won our costume contest. So, and my mom is 65 years old. <laughs> so don't get it twisted. She's out there to pull up and wreck um but yeah so it's i haven't worked a day in the past five years you know my job um echo echo shepherd that is her name um we are echo athletics the camp is camp echo um even till this day echo is helping me uh, connecting me to people that i never would have met she's got me to work in panama we're starting a school out there i'm very close with echo's youngest sister who was a newborn when echo passed away um and i've never had you know obviously i've never had a sister so it's you know and this girl is in love with me she's smitten by me and i am telling her about her sister that she'll never get to meet and how her Aww. sister was mine you know and it's it's crazy you know it's my experience makes me tear up that experience makes me tear up too because it's you know it's just it's proof you know what i mean it's people only die when you let them die you know people are only gone when you let them be gone like her sister's still here with us and she has pictures and i can tell her like this is how your sister was like she she illuminated a room to walk into it and you know her uh, unreal very very unreal on, on the whole situation but like i said i left my job at adidas for six years to do this and i you know, graduated college and my department would brag about me and tell students that, you know, you could do this with your degree. And yeah, I always tell people, you know, death is not inspires a lot of growth, you know, and yeah. um, we all are connected by this, this thing of death, you know, it's a cycle. So, um, you know, that's the cool thing about this whole thing is, is echo athletics. Anybody I talk to has a story about someone they love that, you know, is not with us. And it's always interesting. And I love hearing how they're, Bring their memory alive, you know, if it's doing an ofrenda or if it's doing a, rock, a, a run for suicide or, you know, everything in between. 
um, you know, I get paid to, to have people have fun. I think that's a great job. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Before we get out of here, uh, a lot of what we talk about on the show does sometimes start in trauma or trauma is a portion of our experience because of our identity quest and everything like that. So one thing that I want to I want to do with everybody is find out what is it about being mixed that you love the most? Oh, I was going to say, if you're going to ask me how I survived, like I survived. Why do you think you survived? <laughs> um, <laughs> I survived. No, um, what do I love about being mixed? That's a good question. Um, being put on the spot. Final answer. Um this is this is why I love being mixed. I love being mixed because life is like a Gatorade, you know what I mean? And if you think about we all grew up with the red, the blue, the orange, right? The basic colors. They're not flavors, right? What flavor do you want? I want red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then something beautiful happened. Gatorade came up with this hybrid, these hybrid flavors. And one that is so popular in Latino Mexican culture is cucumber Gatorade. It's cucumber lime. And that to me is so, so crazy because that is what being mixed is, is when two cultures come together and they infuse into something and not only changes the culture, but it changes your food. It changes your music. It changes your people. It changes your language. And, you know, that's that that is monumental. You know, that's how you can build empires off that. So like a Gatorade, you know, it's it's the marrying of two very unique cultures and flavors that some people may say that they don't like. But if you try them together, you you know, it's the beautiful com- combinations. And that's what I love about being mixed is, is I am this beautiful mix of these cultures that built this country you know i mean they really did they built this country um but i'm you know just the idea of being creative and and the 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 latin flair and the uniqueness of just being black and the i don't know the amazingness of the uniqueness of being white and and i love all that and mixed together it's it's just made me who i am and that's why i love being mixed is is i'm not in one box, you know what I mean? I'm I'm all the boxes, you know, and, and I, I love it. I wouldn't trade it, wouldn't change it for the world, you know. And, and I always tell people like I'm half black, half Mexican, I could jump a fence, you know what I mean? If I really need to, there's no fence. <laughs> no fence. Nope. Can't jump. Like no, like it's it's just so it's a beautiful. Like I, I look I fall in love with myself every day, just being mixed and in talking to people and speaking Spanish to them and then they're like taken aback, you know, like oh, like, I didn't think that. And it's, you know, the ability to surprise people every day, you know, and because and, I'm not what they think I am, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love being mixed because I'm not who you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> surprise! <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with, with me and with the audience. Um, thank you for reaching out to me on Instagram. I'm, I just really appreciate that you found the show and that you're, you participated so quickly as well. I, I am really grateful. But before we get out of here, why don't you tell everybody how to find Echo Athletics on social media? So you can go to Echo athletics.com for our website or you can search us on instagram facebook twitter youtube and everything in between at echo athletics yeah you can always come and kick it cool
All right. So that was our episode. Uh, I mean, thank you to Jesse for sharing his story. It was it's a pretty heavy story, and it, and and even though it is born from uh, some tragedy, to hear his positivity and and who he is as a man today is just amazing. I, I find Jesse like very inspirational of a person to have interacted with. You know, on this show, there are a lot. There is a lot of times in which we are dealing with trauma, or that we're focusing in on trauma. And not to say that every aspect of mixedness is traumatic, but there are aspects of mixedness that are, whether it's from our origins or whether it's from how people treat us because we're unique or we're different, you know, whatever it is, a a lot of us do deal with a certain amount of trauma and bullying and pain. And you forget sometimes how resilient humans are and that even when you come from a very traumatic situation, you can still grow to be a very positive and um, happy person. And I, I get that feeling from Jesse that his origins are kind of grim. You know, he had a mother that was addicted to drugs. He had a father that was incarcerated. He was adopted within three weeks. And uh, so lucky that he ended up with a family that not only, you know, took care of him and nurtured him as a man, but uh, nurtured his other ethnic cultures as to the best of their ability, which I think is a unique experience for a transracial adoptee. As I mentioned, I know a couple people who have this experience, but not many. And so from my own experience of knowing a few transracial people, uh, these people were always raised within the culture of the adoptive parents. So they were hardly exposed to people that were similar to them or people who were similar to the ethnic groups that they came from. And so with Jesse's family making that effort to try to show themselves people who were like them, <laughs> uh, I said that a little weird, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, it, I think is amazing and, and credit to his, his family for doing that um, because it, it seems from talking to Jesse that he is a whole ass mixed person. You know, he, he understands his cultural heritages, but he also understands within what he grew up with that he is different, quotation fingers, than people of his same ethnic origins be, who were raised around people of, of their ethnic origins. So it was just great. It was great to have this exposure to something different than the typical topics of mixedness that we talk about on the show. And I encourage any other people who are listening who have a, a story, a transracial story to reach out to me and come on the show because, you know, this is, again, we're not a monolith. Jesse's experience is going to be a lot different from another transracial person, just like my experience as a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational mixed race person is, you know? So yeah, I'm just, I'm in awe of Jesse. I really am. I think he's, I think he, his, his positivity is very infectious. I felt great after talking to him, even though we talked about some dark stuff, he's just, he just oozes it. And you, even through a Skype, you know, I, I felt really connected to him and, um, and I'm excited about his company. Uh, he mentioned Echo Athletics and his, um, you know, oversized or giant games and the kickball and the summer camp. If you do go to his website, Echo Athletics, or his social media, you can gain access to that as well. He said there is going to be um, discounts for Christmas break or the holidays for the summer camp. So check him out there and get access to those those discounts beforehand. I think this idea is awesome. As a mixed race person, not only as a mixed race person, but like a, a kid who grew up in the hood. I didn't have summer camp. I didn't have access to these type of things. I was always sort of envious of my Jewish 
friends who would leave and go to Jewish camp or, you know, band camp or, you know, whatever different kind of camps people had. I didn't have access to something like that as a kid. And oh, oh gosh, how amazing would it have been to have a mixed race summer camp when I was a kid? It would have been awesome. But like, I'm really into the idea of doing it as an adult. And um, I, I I hope to get a chance to to do that with Jesse's uh, company, Echo Athletics. So check it out. See if it's something for you. I think this, ooh, this one's coming up in April. I think it'll be awesome. It sounds so much fun. Okay, so now going back to sort of the normal things that I do in the intros, sort of the business of having a podcast. I want to thank everybody who participated in the birthday fundraiser. We did top out at $215 for the birthday fundraiser, and that is slightly less than half of the goal I had for the soundproofing of my recording area. So it'll still take a few more months for me to raise the funds necessary to finish out, but at least we have a good foundation to get started, so that's amazing. And like I have said also, I've recently done so many extra interviews that I I have content for months. And even after I get this soundproofing done, there's still going to be a few episodes that'll come out that have some lower quality or pops and clicks and things like that because my area is not very soundproof. And until I, you know, quote unquote, burn off all of those interviews, you know, I'll still be affected. The sound quality will still be affected by some of that. But I'm just grateful for the foundation that is now laid uh, from the people who donated because it'll, it'll, help improve the show that much more. And also the sharing and whatever is starting to work because we had an explosion of downloads this week. I don't know if it had more to do with the specific episode with Salam Yordan from Ethiopia or if it or if it's just, things are just finally clicking into place and people are sharing and getting exposure to the fact that we do have this safe space for mixed race people through the show. But last week we just that episode just bypassed my previous heavily downloaded episodes, number one. And number two, people are listening to a lot of the older episodes. So even episodes that are like five months old got an extra 10 or 15 downloads um, in the last week than, than they have been. You know, I'll usually get onesie twosies on the older episodes, but we had we had some big numbers this week and um, we're almost to 2,000 lifetime downloads, which for a really big podcast is not that great. But for something like this, that is very niche and hard to find, that's amazing. I You know, five months and we're about to hit 2000 downloads. And I just, uh, I'm just in awe of the experience itself. For me, how enriching it is. I hope it is for you, for the audience as well. So please continue to share. We actually ended up in countries we've never been in before. We got downloads from Mexico and Chile and the Dominican Republic from uh, Burkina Faso, from uh, Iran and Ethiopia as well. But also our guest was from Ethiopia. So that makes sense. So yeah, there was just this crazy amount of extra downloads this week. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just so excited. I, I hope that we keep that going and that, you know, by the this time next year, uh, you know, we're at 10,000 downloads an episode or something like that. That would that would be, oh gosh, that would just be everything. So yeah, those are the two things that I wanted to talk about, at least in terms of the business of the podcast. Uh, but Jesse, again, I'm so grateful to him for sharing this story. And so as I said, the show is still fairly small, even though we are growing, which is amazing. But And this could be a shot in the dark, but it's, it's worth a shot. You never know who's listening to the show. Earlier in the episode, Jesse talks about how when he and his biological sister, Nicole, met, they were sort of piecing together their history uh, in terms of what information Jesse had and what information Nicole had. 
and they mentioned an older sister who had also been adopted out so my little appear that i did talk to jesse about to see if he was at all interested in me doing this he said it was okay if you are in the san diego area and you are aware of a person whose name is karina or maybe was karina perez at the time of birth who was adopted out near birth from a mother who was under the influence of drugs at the time please share this episode with them perhaps it, it they may be the older sister of jesse and nicole perhaps they would be interested in connecting with their biological siblings i don't know you just never know it's worth a crack so please share this information with them if you are the person who happens to be their sibling or you would like to see if you are and want to connect through uh, the show, you can email Charmaine at militantlymixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E. And just let me know that you think you know of or are Karina Perez. And I will connect that information back to Jesse and by extension, Nicole. And perhaps a family can be reunited. But also make sure you check out Echo Athletics because, you know, not only are we here to talk about the mixed race experience, but we're here to support mixed race creators and makers out in the world. I, I love when I have a guest come on with their music or a book or, you know, a company or something like that to pay attention to because I'm the kind of person that likes to vote with my money if I can within the POC community. And, you know, if they're in the mixed community even better for me personally because I have a personal connection to that. So yeah, I think that's it for tonight. I'm just um, I, I'm just in awe of this show. I'm so grateful for the experience and the opportunities that uh, my guests are providing me. And yeah, get at us. Come on the show. Let us know what your mixed race experience is. You can email me at Charmaine at MilitantlyMixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, E at MilitantlyMixed.com. Or you can find us on our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Militantly Mix. Share your stories. Let us know how you feel about the show. If there's a particular episode that connected with you and you want to reach out to that guest, you can send those messages through social media or through uh, my email and I will share them with the guests and, you know, they can choose to reach out to you or not. It's entirely up to them. But I think that would be really encouraging for our guests to hear how people have connected to their shows. Um, it has happened a couple times and, you know, a lot of times my guests are surprised that people cared. So if you are listening and you do love the show and there are particular episodes that touch you, please feel free to... Um, message those guests through me and I will get it to them. And yeah, I think that's it. I, I, yeah, thank you. Just thank you for this experience because it's, it's changed my life. It's just changed my life. And I hope that through listening to this show, you are also encouraged to do whatever the thing is that will change your life. I mean, I have craved something like Militantly Mixed for years and it took me a while to get the courage to do it. And when I did do it, everything turned around for me. I, I really, really feel so strongly that I would probably still be sitting in my pajamas on the couch in the dark during the days uh, because I was going through a really bad uh, batch of major depression and Militantly Mix has dug me out of that hole. And I don't know why I'm feeling so reflective. Maybe because it's late at night and maybe because it's coming to the end of the year. But yeah, it just means so much to me that I have this experience now through Militantly Mixed. And I am grateful and I hope I'm not babbling too much. All right. I think I'm going to go ahead and say goodnight. But before I do, don't forget to be your mixed ass self. Night, y'all. 
Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.